Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. But first, we start with the continuing problems with trucks versus overpasses. Police investigating another suspected hit. And, of course, earlier this week, we saw that truck go for a scrape through the Massey Tunnel here. And this just keeps happening over and over again. I had Rob Fleming on the show yesterday, the B.C. Transportation Minister, and he talked about how they are hiking up the fines for this infraction. Doesn't seem to be working here. I got Dave Earl standing by, president of the BC Trucking Association. Have a listen to some of these headlines here on some of these recent hits. Have a listen. It's happened one too many times across the lower mainland. An overheight truck striking an overpass, this time on the North Shore. Another case of a vehicle hitting an overpass, this time on Highway 1 in Abbotsford. The back of that semi that slammed into Camby Road. It appears a piece of heavy equipment on trailers slammed into the 264th Street overpass. Structural engineers are on site assessing the damage after a truck with an oversized load struck that overpass to have this happen again uh it is just so frustrating okay let's discuss it now with my guest dave earl dave is the president and ceo bc trucking association dave thanks for coming on today thanks for having me mike okay dave first let's start with the uh the, some of the snowy and icy conditions that we're seeing here in bc metro we saw a tough commute for a lot of drivers yesterday how does this affect truck drivers uh, Mike, I mean, the, the people that get uh, frustrated need to remember that the drivers that are working for a living on this, this is their job, this is their workplace. And when their workplace is not safe to work in, where it's difficult to work in, where it becomes hard to work in, it, it gets increasingly frustrating. And then when we see people without equipment, without uh, the proper tires, just you know, continuing to drive as if it's a, a warm summer day in May, it, it is beyond frustrating. You know, I, I just I shake my head and I wonder. Um, to be fair, there is a, there is something to that the snow we get in Vancouver is particularly problematic. Um, it is sticky, it freezes, it thaws, but that doesn't excuse the fact that uh, you know, we just don't do a very good job, um, each of us driving appropriately with the right equipment. Okay, how about for truckers around British Columbia? Do you, are you confident that most of them will follow the rules and whether it's like chaining up uh, when they're supposed to chain up tires? Yeah, Mike, the, the vast, vast majority of drivers do it right. Every day they do it right. Every day they, they do what's required. They want to work safely. They want to drive safely. The difficulty we have is we have a component of the industry that doesn't. Uh, we have companies that don't care. We have drivers that don't care. And we have customers that don't care. And those that do and the members of the traveling public are the ones that ultimately pay the price. 
Okay, Dave, let's talk about these truck overpass hits. Now, we talked a lot about this yesterday on the show, especially the dramatic video came out of showing that oversized truck scraping through the Massey Tunnel. You see this over overheight truck go through the tunnel, start scraping along the ceiling of the Massey Tunnel. The sparks are flying. Driver slams on the brakes. The vehicle behind catches the whole thing on a dash cam. Police investigating another... Another possible hit on Highway 1 yesterday. Dave, what is going on with this? Why does this keep happening over and over again? You know, Mike, I think it's my my first comment. We've got different people in the system who just aren't doing what they need to do. Um, when I look at the video of that uh, that container moving through the Massey Tunnel, when I first heard about it, I thought, how's a container hitting the roof of the tunnel? That's the standard height. They're not over height. The container's on the wrong trailer. Um, oh. It's on a, a flat. It's on a flat bed, a flat deck trailer. Um, it's not on a, ch- a container chassis, which is down a little bit, which keeps it down below the standard height. Uh, it's not on a low bed, which is a- another way of doing it if you don't have a chassis container. It's the wrong equipment. Like, how did the wrong equipment get dispatched? Um, you know, how is that possible? And I, and I just, I shake my head. Like, I just don't know what's going through everybody involved i mean if you're a if you're a a customer moving a container mike this isn't something that you and i are going to move on the weekend this is a commercial entity these are people who have containers this isn't your first time moving a container yeah. and you you call to get a container dispatched and a truck shows up with a flat deck wouldn't you as the customer kind of furrow your eyebrow and go what you doing you yeah know, for, what, for sure i mean like, all of this, like, all of this is nonsensical. I mean, it's just bordering it's, on the ridiculous. It, it's, all, it is. it's already ridiculous. And, and it, it is, Mike. And I mean, you know, and it, I was you know, listening to the the news stories that you were playing before. You know, you know, one too many hits. Yeah, one is one too many. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I've got all the time in the world for when mistakes get made. You know, and I mean, I encourage your listener to have you know, have a read of the CBSC website they actually give some details you can see where companies have pulled the permit they've done the right thing they're going and they're doing this this stuff right and somebody makes a mistake they take a wrong turn they don't move off and exit um that shouldn't happen but it does and it's a mistake you know and we can work on that we can do better we can do all these things for mistakes what frustrates me beyond belief is when it's willful and deliberate yeah. And that's what I just, you know, I'm so frustrated with because we've got people in this industry. And again, it's the customer, it's the carrier, it's the driver, it's everybody involved in the chain here who aren't paying attention or who are and who are deliberately trying to cheat. And I just have no time for that. Dave, let me ask you this. Is lack of enforcement or inadequate enforcement part of the problem here? We got into this yesterday with the transportation minister. I want to play something for you here because we got a call from a truck driver on the show. A lot of truckers listen to this show, and they call in every time. John in Langley, he called in. He talked about the way stations. He said some of these way stations, these inspection stations for trucks have been shut down. I put that to the transportation minister on the show yesterday. I want to play this exchange for you and then get your thoughts. So this is John and Langley on the open line, transportation minister Rob Fleming. Let's listen. I'd like to know how many way stations have they closed down in the last 20, 25 years? The CBSC is more robust than it has been. um, And we have mobile way stations now. We have mobile units that are doing enforcement on our highways. 
If you go online, there's four uh, public uh, British Columbia way stations listed, and they're all random. Okay, CVSE, by, for the listeners, is the Commercial Vehicle Safety and Enforcement System. Uh, what about this, Dave? Like, what about these way stations? Have they been shut down? No, no, Mike, they haven't. I mean, the ones that have been shut down do go back about 20 years, and they were primarily in the Lower Mainland. The reason they were shut is they were old, and they were really easy to get around. Um, you know, your listener may remember there was one on the Patello Bridge. Well, if you don't want to use it, you take the off-ramp and go on Scott Road. Um, there were so many ways to get around them, they were really ineffectual, you know, and so that's not the way to go about enforcement. Um, you know, when we talk about how we can use technology to enforce, it's really interesting. Um, this government, um, you know, has brought in speed limiters. It's been a long-standing ask of our association, more than a decade, and we're going to see them come into into place this year. Um, and I get phone calls on a daily or weekly basis from drivers who are mad that they're going to have their vehicles limited to 105 kilometers an hour. Yeah, oh. Mike, really? Like, like, seriously, like, I mean, what are we talking about here? It is okay. nonsensical. It, it is, Dave, and I appreciate you coming on to talk about it today. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Happy to be here. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. All right, you should absolutely follow Motormouth on Motormouth Couple Car Reviews on YouTube with Zach Spence, Zach and Andrea Spencer. They got 330,000 followers and subscribers on there, more than 1,700 videos, awesome videos on car reviews. We're going to talk about the continuing saga of the $60,000 EV replacement battery. Zach Spencer is my guest. Hey, Zach, thanks for coming on. Anytime, Mike. Okay, Zach, before we get into the continuing saga here of that $60,000 battery, let me ask your thoughts real quickly on this age-old question, are Vancouver drivers bad drivers in the snow and ice? Like, I hear this all the time for people who have driven in the BC interior, the north, other provinces. You know, they're always shaking their heads at Vancouver. Man, you guys get a dusting of snow and everybody loses their mind and everyone's slipping and sliding away. Do you think it's fair? Uh, there's a bit of that. There's also a lot of um, uh, issues with the temperature, uh, with the snow falling just slightly at the freezing mark, just below. And what happens in Vancouver, I've noticed, I grew up in eastern Canada, and I grew up driving in the snow, is that when the snow falls here, it gets, it gets compacted down and often turns into ice uh, very quickly on the roads. If the, if the city hasn't been uh, putting the salt or the brine down, uh, you can drive along with just a few centimeters of snow, and it gets compacted into this slushy, very slippery ice. And that that really is brings me to my next point. The number one thing that people do not do is put on the correct tires for the conditions. You have yeah. to invest in proper tires. I know we don't get a lot of snow. Uh, some years we get a lot more, like last year. We got plenty of snow this year. We've had just the dusting. But you see the chaos that, that happens, and it only takes – 
one car driving with straight summer tires to slide on that slippery slush, hit somebody else, and then it's chaos. Yeah, yeah. Get those all-weather tires. I mean, the next set of tires I'm going to get in our vehicle, I'm going to make sure they've got that the snowflake symbol on the side of them. Those, those are the all-weather tires, right? Yeah, so the, the term all-season tire really should be uh, dropped. It was a marketing term developed in the 70s, and it really doesn't do anybody any good. All-season tires should be looked at as three-season tires for yeah. spring, summer, and fall. All-weather tires have that mountain snowflake symbol on the side, as you mentioned, and that provides extra traction in slippery conditions. They're, they're better, but they're not, they're not the best. The best are a proper winter tire dedicated for winter use. I understand a lot of people don't have uh, the time or the energy to change their tires twice a year, so all-weather tires. We did, a, we did a giveaway this past fall on the Motormouth YouTube channel with Toyo. Uh, they're um, they're a, a Japanese tire brand based here in Richmond, and um, they, um, they have a new Celsius two-tire, so that's one to consider. Zach Spencer is my guest. Okay, Zach, let's talk about the $60,000 replacement battery for an EV. This is the story that you broke on your YouTube channel. It's great to see a lot of other media following this story. We've talked about it here on the show, too. Let's have a listen to Global News. Andrew, uh, they did a great feature on this story. You're quoted here as well, along with Andrew Spencer. Let's have a listen, then we'll discuss. Boy, have we got a story to tell you. It was a story that shocked auto journalists Zach and Andrea Spencer, a Vancouver area electric car owner who discovered the cost of replacing his damaged EV battery would cost more than his vehicle brand new. We were shocked by how much this battery cost. The owner was quoted over $61,000 for the battery, including tax and labor. The car itself was valued at $55,000 brand new. Okay, Zach, so this story continues to take a few little twists and turns here because I know there have been some more statements here from Hyundai, right? This, this is a Hyundai vehicle, correct? Yeah, they, they've kind of, um, uh, what should I say here? They've been creative with wordsmithing, I would say, that we exposed a real um, problem for them um, putting a retail price of $56,000 on the battery. And the car in question here went to an auto body shop and the actual quote came through the ICBC uh, system. So ICBC has a list of parts that they authorize to pay for and the price is approved and that's where the price was generated. Uh, so this wasn't uh, you know, a made up month number, this was the actual cost of the battery. Hyundai has now come and said there was a technical glitch um, they were getting quoted the retail price. That's not the price people would actually pay. The price now is anywhere from roughly $8,000 to $30,000, depending on how much of the battery needs to be replaced. We, in our uh, second video we put out, we've talked about it previously, Mike, uh, we actually went through and proved that the actual price of the battery was 56, over $56,000. We had multiple sources that confirmed that. So now Hyundai is walking that back. Um, uh. And, you know, it's, it's damage control. I get it. They're a big company. They want this to go away. Um, but um, uh, hopefully, um, and we actually were in the company of another car executive. We were just came back from the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. And we were with uh, a COO of a major car company. And he told us, he said, you know what, you have, you have uh, caused changed 
and everybody is on notice now. This story got a lot of views, uh, over almost three million views, and uh, no, yeah, over three, almost three million views. Um, wow. And people have taken notice. The car companies have taken notice, and they've had to go back and look at their processes. What are they going to do if a car is impacted? If the battery is dented, are they going to write it off? Are they going to fix it? And so on. So um, our whole, our whole purpose of the video is to bring about change and i think that's happened with hyundai they've obviously had to change now they've stated the battery isn't fifty six thousand dollars it's now closer to 30 um but others in the industry are following suit the question i have mike thirty thousand dollars to replace a battery is fine if the car is one year old and the car is still worth a sizable amount of money uh icbc will say well it's worth it to replace when the car's three and four years old and it's depreciated, it's not going to be worth replacing. So these cars are going to get written off again. Yeah, and as you pointed out, this is an industry-wide issue here when it comes to electric vehicles and battery replacement batteries because it's not unique to Hyundai. Because I think that you said to me on an earlier show, you like the Hyundai products, right? Do you like the Hyundai cars? Yeah, we 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 do our uh, top top five videos. We do a series of them in the fall top five compacts and so on. And Hyundai and uh, Kia products are overrepresented. They get a lot of shout outs from us. They make some excellent products. This is um, a blind side to them and to a lot of people who have bought their cars that they just didn't know about. And now um, we've exposed it. It has to be addressed. And people who have these cars have to be aware that they should buy replacement insurance, which is you go to ICBC and you say, I want to buy insurance if I'm going to get, say, an Ionic 5 or uh, any other electric car, I would, I would say, um, to top you up. If the car is written off, you're made whole on the entire amount of the car. Um, you don't have to accept the depreciated value. Right. And when we take a look at the prices of these batteries, like in this particular case, you know, whether it's 30000 56000 bucks for a battery, more than the price of the vehicle when it was new, why, why are these batteries so expensive? And what are the, what's the typical lifespan of one of these batteries before it has to be replaced? Well, on the lifespan side, we're seeing batteries last a long time. There's stories of Tesla batteries running many, many hundreds of thousands of miles in the United States. So uh, the longevity of the battery is still a kind of a wait-and-see situation because a lot of these mainline electric cars have only been in the marketplace for a, a few short years. So that we're going to have to wait on. Uh, sorry, the first question was, Mike, I forgot. Well, I'm just wondering why it's so expensive, like, Oh. Are, is there any indication that the price is coming down as we get more efficient at making these things? I, I think that uh, economies of scale will certainly kick in. But, uh, you know, the executive that we were in the company with uh, this past week said, you know, a lot of these car companies aren't making much on electric cars. Uh, the battery, you're paying for the battery and they add the car in not for free, but it's, 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 it's mostly the cost of the battery and uh, the technology that's, that's uh, made it, making it work. So I think that it, they're going to be forced to have to provide these batteries at a lower cost because yeah. if people are worried about it and they hold off buying them, then that's not going to help the sales of new vehicles. Okay, so bottom line for your, your advice for consumers is make sure you've got the proper insurance coverage. That's our suggestion. You know, yeah. um, my wife, Andrea, who, who does the videos with me, she said, you know, have a checklist, ask the dealership, 
do you have the ability to repair a battery? One of the problems with this story is the battery wasn't able to be repaired. It had to be written off entirely. Other manufacturers, we heard from Volkswagen, for example, they have the ability to repair the batteries in their ID cars. Interestingly, Kia, the cousin company, also from uh, the Hyundai Motor Group, they do have processes in place in Canada to repair and replace components of the battery. The only problem with asking that at the dealer level is the dealer's going to tell you anything they need to to get you to buy the car. I mean, um, you know, we really need to uh, have a checklist, but the number one layer of protection is have the extra insurance, which isn't cheap, Mike. It's expensive. Uh, But if anything happens... Never mind to the battery, but to the, the vehicle generally, it will be written off and you'll be made whole. You'll get all your money back. Zach, thank you for coming on today. I always appreciate it. Anytime, Mike. Chat soon. All right, let's talk about that Alaska Airlines flight now that had part of the plane fall off in mid-flight here. Now, this was an exterior door plug. Uh, basically, a small section of the fuselage falls off the plane at 16,000 feet in the air. Imagine the terror in the cabin of that plane as it quickly depressurized. And one kid had had his shirt ripped off. He had debris like cell phones flying around, sucked out of the plane. Thankfully, no fatalities here. The plane landed safely. The oxygen masks dropped down for the passengers. Absolutely terrifying. I've got Duncan D. standing by to discuss. First, have a listen here. Jennifer Homendy, chair of the National Transportation Safety Board in the United States, commenting after part of this Boeing 737 MAX jet fell off mid-flight. Have a listen. It was described as chaos, uh, very loud Uh, between the air and um, everything going on uh, around them. And uh, and it was very violent uh, when the uh, rapid decompression and the door uh, was expelled out of the plane. Okay, and more troubles here for Boeing, the aircraft maker there that started up in Seattle, a class action lawsuit now being launched against uh, the company. Let's discuss now with my guest, Duncan D. Duncan is a former Air Canada executive, and I'm always grateful for his thoughts and analysis on the airline industry. Duncan, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Hey, Duncan, this has to be an airline executive's worst nightmare here, short of a plane crashing and people dying. But man, what a terrifying incident here. What did you think of that when you heard about it? Look, I think that the first thing is how lucky um, everyone was on that aircraft because, uh, you know, in terms of happenstance, the seats adjacent to where the blowout occurred were not occupied. Yeah. Uh, so could you imagine if the, the that seat, that window seat was occupied, we would probably be talking about injury, if not death. So, you know, very, very lucky set of circumstances that those seats weren't occupied, number one. Uh, number two, um, really incredible work by the flight attendants on that flight who, you know, true to their training, rushed to the side of the unaccompanied minors on that flight to ensure that they had properly worn their um, the masks that dropped down for their oxygen. Uh, so they ensured that those unaccompanied minors were safe. And then they just really did an excellent job of trying to ensure that everyone was doing exactly as they needed to do in 
the circumstances that they found themselves in. So, you know, hats off to the flight attendants, hats off to the pilots, but extremely lucky that this is the way this whole thing transpired. What do you think this means for the Boeing aircraft manufacturer? Of course, this is the 737 MAX jet made by Boeing, and people will recall the the deadly crashes of those planes in Indonesia and Ethiopia back in 2018 and 2019. So people will remember this particular plane, and here we go again with a, with another kind of shocking problem here with this particular plane. What do you think? Look, I think that this uh, calls into question uh, the oversight that Boeing's production is under. Clearly, there needs to be uh, a look at that. And I've seen comments from both um, members of the United States Senate and the United States House of Representatives looking to investigate the oversight of Boeing's uh, production lines. You know, one of the things that um, is critical as part of this investigation is United Airlines, the only other American airline that operates the MAX 9 variant of the Boeing 737 aircraft, found a number of aircraft with the loose bolts where this yeah. uh, particular plug uh, uh, rests. And so, um, you know, when, when you've got that kind of a situation um, uh, developing, it's really important that the oversight um, is tightened up and that Boeing um, really come to the table in terms of what uh, it needs to do to ensure that this never, ever happens again. Okay, Boeing now facing a class action lawsuit over this incident. At least seven passengers on that flight have filed suits against Boeing here. We, man, we have had some wild and crazy headlines in the North American airline industry here to start the year, Duncan, including, let's talk about this incident with an Air Canada flight here now with the passenger who opened an Air Canada plane door. This is while the plane was on the ground. The passenger ends up on the tarmac. Uh, let's listen to this report. This is from Global News. While the aircraft was still loading at the gate at Toronto's Pearson Airport, one of the passengers wanted to get out and did by opening a door. This guy just basically jumped off 20 feet into the tarmac. Landing on the concrete below. Air Canada says the male passenger went to a closed door on the opposite side of the aircraft from where he was supposed to sit, pulled it open, got out. Air Canada told us in a statement all of our approved boarding and cabin operating procedures were followed. Okay, so Air Canada saying that they didn't break any of the rules here, that this was a passenger or did something he wasn't supposed to do. I think most people, Duncan, have been surprised that, you know, anyone could just walk over there and open up that door. Your thoughts? Well, look, I mean, um, the normal boarding process has uh, the uh, passengers, you know, coming down the jetway, going onto the aircraft from the left-hand side of, of the aircraft, and they basically go find their seat, uh, sometimes with the assistance of a flight attendant. Um, this individual uh, boarded from the left side like everybody did, but somehow found his way to the opposite side of the aircraft and opened that door and fell onto the tarmac. I have no idea how that could even happen um, in terms of somebody mistaking that door for perhaps a lavatory or, you know, uh, an innocent explanation like that because these doors are well signed it says exit right on top of them in both official languages um, and you know this is really just an incredible um, situation which caused a tremendous amount of 
uh, inconvenience for the travelers who are on that flight. That flight left six hours late. And Air Canada has to undertake an investigation as how how this could even happen. Um, you know, the, a normal boarding process doesn't really see a situation uh, like this. You know, there's normally a large number of travelers who are um, lined up in the aisles, either putting up their bags or getting seated. And so this situation is so unusual that, you know, it's really been such a weird start to 2024 in terms of uh, the uh, headlines we're seeing in the airline industry. Yeah, no kidding. Speaking to Duncan D. Duncan is the former chief operating officer at Air Canada. When you were at Air Canada, Duncan, did you ever have to go through any kind of a crisis like this, an accident or mishap like that? Look, the worst, uh, thank goodness, I'd ever, um, I, the incidents I've ever had to be uh, responsible for would have, uh, the worst one would have been um, a severe, an incident of severe turbulence where we had actual uh, passengers injured as a result. That was the absolute worst thing uh, I could remember being a part of uh, as, at Air Canada. You know, never uh, was involved in an incident where uh, there were, um, thank goodness, any other uh, injuries or and certainly no deaths but yeah. you know this is any airline executives worst nightmare to, to have that situation at Alaska Airlines we also had that um, you know incredible story out of uh, Japan where you had an aircraft land uh, on top of another aircraft but you know again there the crews did an incredible job of evacuating all of those travelers and then this situation with Air Canada where somebody opens up a door uh, and winds up um, falling onto the tarmac. You know, these are just such a bizarre set of of, of news items that uh, uh, travelers are hearing. And, and thank goodness, you know, when I was at Air Canada, I had nothing anywhere near uh, these events happen when, uh, under my watch. Hey, Duncan, last question for you. Another sort of bad headline here for Air Canada. Air Canada landing in last place in on-flight time on-time flight rankings in North America. Wow, that is a dubious distinction here. Worst on-time performance. This is among 10 large airlines in North America last year, according to a new report. 63% of the flights last year in Air Canada landed, actually landed on time. Why do you think that's happening? Look, Mike, I've been banging on this drum uh, with you uh, for over yeah. two years now. And, uh, you know, it's a situation that is not getting any better. Uh, Air Canada was number 10 out of 10 um, in North America. WestJet didn't do much better. Uh, WestJet was at 7 out of 10. So why is it that the two largest uh, airlines in Canada are at the bottom of the rankings on time performance for airlines in North America? You know, I think part of it is because in this country, our focus is on how do we handle complaints better? How do we, you know, ensure that complaints are much easier to uh, process as opposed to fixing the reasons for the, those complaints in the first place? And so we've we, we've got situations in this country that, you know, we could we could fix. Uh, there was an article recently that um, in Vancouver Airport, they've got a severe shortage of air traffic control staff. The Sunday before the start of the Christmas rush, Vancouver Airport was effectively shut down for several hours because they couldn't handle the number of aircraft departing and arriving. And so those things, when you take them all together, result in these, you know, sad uh, testimonies to the fact that the two largest airlines in Canada, Air Canada, the worst large airline in North America, WestJet, you know, the third worst uh, in North America. So not 
not really something Canadians can be proud of. And this is something that uh, unless we get serious about and unless we really start looking at the root causes of the complaints that we like to uh, focus on, then, you know, we're still going to have these same results come next year. Yeah, Canada in last place on these rankings for on-time performance here for Air Canada. Um, the second last on the list here was JetBlue Airways, then Frontier Airlines, and then, as you mentioned, WestJet uh, placing next worst on this list for on-time flight performance here. The best on-time flight performance on the list was Delta Airlines, and second place went to Alaska Airlines. Do you think that uh, Air Canada's problems is relate to staff shortages? Look, I don't think that uh, Air Canada is facing um, staff shortages that make it any different than, say, Delta Airlines uh, in terms of um, uh, that that challenge. You know, when you're when you're faced with uh, delays and cancellations, staffing always gets tight because at the same time you've got uh, flight crews that you know, start to exceed or reach their maximum duty days, which uh, are, are a reason for a lot of those staff shortages. But, you know, I think the system that we're seeing in Canada um, really makes it extremely difficult for airlines to run on time. You've got air traffic control issues, as I mentioned early, totally outside the airline's control. Over the last couple of years, we've seen significant delays caused by the uh, Canadian Air Transportation Security Agency, CATSA, the folks responsible for security at the airports. We've got a whole host of factors which are contributing to making WestJet and Air Canada both rank at the bottom of the North American um, system. In the United States, it wasn't perfect, but the U.S. Secretary of Transportation, Pete Buttigieg, brought everyone together into the same room to fix the issues that were causing all of those uh, negative headlines for the airline industry during the Christmas period of 2022. So they spent an entire year focusing on how to fix those issues. And you now have you know, a system that is not perfect, but it's functioning way better than the system that we're seeing here in Canada. Duncan, thank you for coming on today with your thoughts and analysis. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.